I'm live now. All right. So this is this is a uh, book talk blog, video blog thing. I've kind of been wanting to do this for a long time. Um, just basically where I get on some kind of uh, like a YouTube channel or a podcast or something. And, and I started this Facebook book blog uh, page to kind of just be an outlet because I really love to read. And I felt like I was just consuming books and just like, okay, now what, what do I do with this? And, you know, I mentioned friends or recommend them or whatever, but, um, I don't know, I guess this is kind of an attempt to do something with this, uh, passion for reading that I have. Um, and just kind of to, to pour out what, what I'm kind of soaking in a lot of. So, um, yeah, so this, that's kind of where this comes from as far as a book talk. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want it to be like a book review thing like I want to go through a book each each video I want to do a book um, kind of going through some of the more notable quotable sections uh, of the book that that I really responded to so I don't want it to be like a full review of a book if you want to find that especially on the books that I'll be doing there's a million of them uh, that, that you can find uh, videos and articles and reviews or whatever this will be more how I responded to it personally or just sections of, of each book that stuck out to me. So uh, the first one we'll be doing tonight is uh, The Reason for God. And I'll only do one. There's only do one per video. So um, the, the fir this first video I want to do on The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Um, if you haven't read this book, this is a, this is a very popular book in Christian circles. Um, Timothy Keller, very popular writer. Um, but yeah, so it's The, the Reason for God. Uh, this is one of his more popular books, too. So, uh, yeah, I just want to go through it. I can't remember when I read this. I read this, like, a while ago. Not too long ago, but, like, maybe three or four years ago. It was kind of it was a book that was kind of, like, on my list for a long time that it's like, yeah, that's, you know, kind of classic Christian book to read um, that I just hadn't gotten around to or whatever. But a few years ago, I, I read it, and, and it was really good. It was, it was, it was it's, it's a classic for a reason. But, um, yeah, so let's just jump right in. So the first section I have flagged here is uh, where Keller writes, uh, to point out that absolute relativism can only exist if the relativists exempt themselves from their own razor. If you infer from the social conditionedness of all belief that no belief can be held as universally true for everyone, that itself is a comprehensive claim about everyone that is the product of social conditions. So it cannot be true on its own terms. Relativity relativizes itself. I love this because, you know, people will say there's no rights, there's no good, there's no ultimate truth, there's no, there's no absolutes, everything is relative to everything else, and there's no truth, um, there's no... There's no real truth, and, and there's like everything's a construct and stuff. So um, what you'll see is, uh, sorry, my kids don't want to go to sleep. Um, so what what people will say is that there there's no truth, and there are no absolutes. Everything's on a scale, you know. And I actually heard Michael Shermer say this, he's a famous atheist, uh, modern current atheist. And I've heard him say this, saying you you can you should either think you can't think binary. He's saying people think too polarizing, too binary, you know, black and white, you know, it's not, it's not like that. Most things are on a scale, he says. So when you think about things like God or truth or morals or logic or anything, you have to think of it on a scale. 
And so you shouldn't think binary, he says. You should think of it more of, of things that are on a scale. But that itself is a binary suggestion he's, he's putting forth. And that's what Keller is saying here of, you know, relativism only works if you exempt the, that statement, all truth is relative, is an absolute statement. So it can't be true. It defeats itself. So the idea of relative truth defeats itself. So it's, it's like someone says, there are, there are no absolutes. Are you sure? Absolutely. Okay, you, <laughs> either there are absolutes or they're not. You can't, so saying that, you're <laughs> saying that truth is relative is a self-defeating statement. So I really like that he, that he touched on that as far as just, just truth and knowing things. Um, the next section here, he talks about, uh, he, he follows C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was, was an atheist and he became a Christian. And kind of, he kind of uh, goes through how he processed becoming a Christian and the idea of God and, and truth and everything. And uh, so this is a quote from C.S. Lewis that, that Keller mentions here. Says uh, C.S. Lewis says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism, tur atheism turns out to be too simple. So, yeah, if, if atheism is true and there is no God, then there's there's no basis for just or unjust or morality or logic or reason now this is where a lot of atheists or, or like sort of godless worldviews will misunderstand me completely this is extremely common misunderstanding when we start talking about this kind of stuff i'm not saying that atheists cannot be moral they can and are i'm not saying it cannot be reasonable or logical they are and and they can i'm saying an atheist or any, any sort of godless worldview does not have a basis for morality or reason. They can be moral and be reasonable, but they have no basis for why they're doing so. So, especially if you subscribe to the naturalist idea of everything's molecules in motion and there is, is everything's just, um, we're just a pale blue dot, like Carl Sagan says, and uh, everything is just, uh, we create our own meaning and um, there's, we're all just molecules and atoms swirling around, uh, matter in motion kind of thing then that does not provide the preconditions necessary for morality. And, and Keller says, uh, the evolutionary mechanism of natural selection depends on death, destruction, and violence of the strong against the weak. These things are all perfectly natural. On what basis, then, does the atheist judge the natural world to be horribly wrong, unfair, and unjust? And that's the thing. The atheist does judge the natural world to be horribly wrong, unfair, and unjust. They do. And they're right to do. They'll become morally indignant against school shootings or against oppression or against anything. And that's correct. But what Keller's pointing out is here is that they have no basis for it. That's the word that we need to, under, to understand and remember through this is no basis, no foundation for the right reason that they're enacting, for the right moral judgments that they're making. They're making the right moral judgments, but the worldview does not provide the preconditions necessary. Now you want to say, well, how are they doing this then? If it's not, if there's no, we, we, it must provide the precondition necessary because we're doing it. They're using the proof of being moral as 
they have a basis in their naturalism, their naturalist philosophy for doing so. But that doesn't make sense. And, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on that again. He, he touches that on that again in the, in the back of the book too. So um, the, and, and if it feels like I'm kind of rushing through this, I don't want these videos to be too long. I'm kind of shooting for like 15 minutes because I know a Facebook live video, <laughs> most Facebook live videos, I, I really don't like Facebook live videos because uh, I think editing is good and there, there should, it's done for a reason. And there's a lot of uh, dead air or empty spaces, especially when someone's by themselves on a video like this responding to comments. Then the Facebook live video is nothing but the person looking down at comments and giving shout outs and, and, and reading, which, I mean, I guess audience participation is fun sometimes, but I, I've never been a big fan. Um, but yeah, so I'm not, I don't want these videos to be too long. That's the thing. And because if they are, I won't do them. And if I have to edit a video and like chop it up and, and do any sort of production for it, it won't get done. And so that's kind of wants just to be uh, fast and loose, just quick and easy um, little videos. So I'm going to just kind of blow through this book. Um, but yeah, just kind of pointing out different things. But I also want to take a little bit of time to discuss some of the ideas that are presented um, just because they, they really meant a lot to me and I just want to share them. So, um, another one here. So, okay. So here he's talking about how we use science to, we're, we, we want to use science to account for unscientific things. We want the natural world to be able to account for supernatural things. And that's, that's the wrong way to even start. It's the wrong way to go about it. He says, uh, he's quoting from, uh, this, this guy, Macquarie, um, who's, uh, an atheist. And he's saying, so he says, uh, no supernatural cause for any natural phenomenon is possible is what Macquarie says. Uh, it is therefore a philosophical, and this is Keller saying, it is therefore a philosophical presupposition and not a scientific finding. Macquarie's argument is ultimately circular. He says that science by its nature can't discern or test for supernatural causes, and therefore those causes can't exist. Saying So because we cannot determine it scientifically, it must not exist. Well, what he's doing is just presupposing that scientific, the scientific method is the only way to determine if something is real or true. And that, that again is circular because you can ask, well, how do we know the scientific method is real or true? By doing the scientific method. Okay, that's, that, that's begging the question. You're not answering the question. So say, the scientific method is the only is the is the best way the only way to know if something is real or true it okay then how do you then how do you account for the scientific method that's just ultimately what it comes down to like we know things because of reason well how do we account for reason by using and you give them they'll give a bunch of reasons why why to do so um so you, keller points out it's a philosophical presupposition and not a scientific finding so Saying the scientific method is the best way to find out if something is true or uh, real is not a scientific approach. It is a presuppositional philosophical approach. It's just saying scientific method is the best way to do it. Well, you can't, if you try to prove that, you're just going to go around in circles. So that's just a presupposition that's presented, a basis from which you build on, right? You have your presupposition and then you reason and logic and do everything to build up from there. But this, the, the presupposition, the foundation, is is just you're just supposing you're just assuming and i would say in the case of a godless worldview you're uh arbitrarily 
presupposing. There's no, that, that presupposition doesn't fit with what you're building up, right? Like we're all mo molecules in motion and atoms and everything is just matter and, and we're swirling and just, there's no real meaning to anything. We're all just byproducts of a cosmic accident, but no one lives that way. And, and they'll kind of talk, he kind of talks about that too in here, but he goes on, um, so the philosopher Alvin Plantinga responds to Macquarie. He says, Macquarie perhaps means to suggest that the very practice of science requires that one reject the idea of God, raising someone from the dead. This argument is like the drunk who insisted on looking for his lost car keys only under the streetlight on the grounds that the light was better there. In fact, it would go the drunk one better. It would insist that because the keys would be hard to find in the dark, they must be under the light. So he's, he's given this common analogy where there's this drunk and he lost his car keys and he's under a street light and he's looking only where the light touches. He's not looking off in the dark or anything for his keys. He's only looking where the light is touching because he thinks, well, this is where I'll see it. He's just presupposing that the keys won't be in the dark. So, but that's a presupposition. He, it's, not, it's not a scientific or rational, reasonable way to do things just to look under the light. If I, he's saying, if, I, if the car keys were visible, they'd be invisible under the light. They wouldn't be in the dark, but they could very well be in the dark. And that's how we approach things. The scientific, the scientific method is limited only to this natural world and to what we see. And so we're trying to account for supernatural things like miracles only within the light of this limited natural structure that we that we have. So that's what um, Keller's kind of pointing to there. Okay, so all right, so I love this book. I love Timothy Keller, but I don't want to just pick books. And as I do these book blogs, these videos, I don't want to just pick books that I agree with. Where like I just you know it's just confirmation bias. Where like I'm just reading a Christian book and I'm a Christian, so it's just you know, confirming my bias, confirming my worldview, you know, just like an echo chamber or something. But even with someone like Timothy Keller, I would have disagreements. Um, and here is one of them. It's not quite a disagreement. It's just, I, I would have more questions for Keller because he talks about evolution and naturalism as, um, he says, uh, some kind of process of natural selection. Uh, he says, for the record, I think God guided some kind of process of natural selection, and yet I reject the concept of evolution as an all-encompassing theory. So he, he kind of goes into this idea that you can you can take it you can take uh, evolution as uh, either a philosophy or um, yeah it says when when evolution is turned into an all-encompassing theory explaining absolutely everything we believe feel and do as the product of natural selection then we are not in the arena of, arena of science, but of philosophy. That is very true. Evolution, like fish to philosopher, molecule to man, um, that, that is not a scientific theory. That is a philosophical theory. And it presupposes the philosophy of naturalism. And naturalism is a philosophy, like nihilism or deism or existentialism, you have naturalism. It is a school, that is a philosophy. So it presupposes that philosophy and rules out anything supernatural and then builds up from there. Again, that presupposition that you arbitrarily choose and then you build up. So you start with, there is no God, and then you build up from there. Like a good example is Carl Sagan's book and the television series, Cosmos. At the very beginning of that series, uh, the first words that are uttered, Carl Sagan says, um, the cosmos are all that are, all that 
uh, have been and all that ever will be, or something to that effect. The cosmos are all that are, all that have been, and all that ever will be. No reason, no, no, just that's it. That's my foundation. That's my presupposition. And then the program starts and then it goes through the cosmos and explains everything from that presupposition. The cosmos are all that is. Okay, you're just saying that. That doesn't make it true. You're not giving a reason. You're not giving anything of how you came to that presupposition. You're just asserting it and then building from there. Well, of course, you're going to get something like evolution and, and, and all that. So, um, yeah, so that's, so that's, but so, and, and, and what Keller, what it looks like Keller is doing is something that a lot of Christians do is they want to sort of have their cake and eat it too, of saying like, well, we see some things in the, in, in natural science and biology and things that we can't, we don't really know about, or we can't kind of quite explain. Uh, so we're going to take as much as we can from this idea of evolution and, but we know God, it really exists. And so, so what you get is this kind of amalgam of God kicked off evolution and he started it and then it like, he used it, but it's very, so the question I would have for Keller when he says, for the record, I think God guided some kind of process of natural selection. And yet I reject the concept of evolution as all encompassing theory. I would have a question for that. For the record, I think God guided some kind of process. What he would have to mean, if he's talking about the God of the Judeo-Christian Bible that he and I would both believe in, what he, what he would have to mean is that God created some process of natural selection. And that, so we would have to have some, some evidence or some reason for that of saying God created this, this method of, of natural selection. Because a lot of natural selection is might makes right. Uh, it's like, okay. But all, and also in Genesis, we have God created man in his image. Okay, we not so we have to understand what. Okay, what does that mean? Did God create some guided process of natural selection to create an animal that would eventually evolve into man, which is made in His image? I, I mean, that those these are the questions I would have for Keller. He doesn't really go into too much depth about exactly the creation of man and this natural this this God guided process of natural selection he's talking about. So. Uh, I, I would have, I would just have questions for that. I don't know if I outright disagree. And I, he probably mentioned this. Me might mention it somewhere else too. About I'm sure I'm not the first person to, to touch on this and think about this. But um, yeah, I would just have questions for this. It's a part of part of this. I, I disagree a little bit on. Uh, I like I'd like him to be a little bit more explicit and transparent about exactly what he means on all that. But um, let's just move on. Um, okay. Okay, so this section is really good too. So it says, rather, we must find the clues to this to his reality that he has written into the universe, including into us. That is why, if God exists, we would expect to find that he appeals to our rational faculties. If we were made, quote, in his image, as rational personal beings, there should be some resonance between his mind and ours. It also means that the reason alone won't be enough. The playwright can only be known through personal revelation. That is why we have to take a look at what the Bible says about God and the human condition. And down here he says, he wrote himself into the play as a main character in history. When Jesus was born in a manger and rose from the dead, he is the one with whom we have to do. So this, this I really like this because it talks about how uh, the, the, the title of this is a little misleading because of the reason for God, which I usually don't like when when there's there's a couple of different kinds of, of like defending the faith of kind of figuring out god it's there's presuppositional 
apologetic apologetics just means defense of the faith defending what you believe in god so there's presuppositional apologetics where we presuppose that there is a god and he has revealed himself to us right that's the biblical i would say the more faithful approach that puts god above reason and morality and everything else then there's the evidential apologetics which says it is reasonable to believe in god so we we believe believe in god because it is reasonable to do so we've we've worked all we've reasoned our way to god that is not what I would say, and that's not how I would believe it, um, because that puts reason above God. You first, you have to first account for reason to a reason to anything. You can't like have a reason for anything unless you first accounted for reason, and there is no reason without God. So that I would say that's a less faithful approach, the evidential approach. So the reason for God is kind of a misleading approach because I, I wouldn't say it didn't look like Timothy Keller's an evidential apolo apologist. He, he seems to be presuppositional, especially with this. They're saying uh, also means that reason alone won't be enough. The playwright can only be known through personal revelation. So that's why someone, you know, there's a famous evidentialist apologist named William Lane Craig. And he's just, he looks at, he'll look at scientific reason for God and the moral reason for God and this philosophy. It puts philosophy above theology is what that does. So I would not do that. So uh, what, what William Lane Craig would say, and he has said, someone asked him right out, do you know that there is a God? And he goes, no, I don't know. I have reason to believe there is a God, but I don't know. I don't know if there's a God. That's insane to me. Like, that's totally crazy. If someone were to ask me, and it looks like Timothy Keller as well, do you know, so, so the playwright can only be known through personal revelation. Do you, someone's asked me, do you know that there is a God? I would say yes. And I say, well, how do you know? And my answer, as crazy as you might think it sounds, would be to say, because he has revealed himself to me. And I think every Christian, that's the faithful answer, a biblical answer for every Christian is, is to say, do you know that there's a God? Yes. Why? Because he has revealed himself to me. Well, first of all, he's revealed himself to the entire world through the creation, and, and, and we'll get to that in a second in Romans. Um, he's revealed himself to everyone. So actually everyone knows that there's a God. And the only reason they say they don't is because they're rejecting him and their unrighteousness. But that's, that's we'll get to that in a second. Um, he has revealed himself through his word, through the Bible, which which we believe. And again, this that's my presupposition. My presupposition is the word, not a reason. And that's fair because a, an atheist or, or someone with a godless worldview would say, well, reason is my presupposition. I believe things because they're reasonable to believe them. And you say, well, why is reason your presupposition? And then he'll give you a bunch of reasons, right? So it's that you're, you're appealing to your presupposition and we all do it. Everyone does that. You have your presupposition and then you build from there. So an atheist would say, well, reason or scientific method or logic or rationality or whatever is, is how we know things. Well, how do you know? Oh, because of these reasons. And he gives you a bunch of reasons. Well, you ask me, why, uh, well, how do you know that there's a God? I say, well, because the Bible says, and I say, no, 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 you can't use the Bible. Well, why not? You're using reason to justify reason. You're using your presupposition and building from there. Why can't I do the same? I'm using my presupposition of scripture, God's word, and building from there. So we all do it. It's just where have you put your faith in human reason or in God? So uh, I really like this, like of, of that through personal, it can only be known through personal revelation. And God has revealed himself into humanity in nature when he became, when, when Jesus Christ was born, when he, when he was incarnate, when he became God in, in the person, 
fully God, fully man in Jesus Christ and died for our sins. Uh, and through the Holy Spirit that he left when he, when Jesus went, when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit, which is God. And through his word, we have his word of scripture. So he reveals himself to us. That's how we know these things. We have a revelatory epistemology. Epistemology is how we know well, the, the study of knowing things. How do you know something? What do you know? Well, it's been revealed to me. That's how, that's how Christians, and, and I would say everyone knows that there is a God. And that leads to this last section I want to do. Uh, it says, uh, I, want to, I want to demonstrate that you already know that God does exist. I'd like to convince the reader that whatever you may profess intellectually, belief in God is an unavoidable basic belief that we cannot prove, but we can't not know. We know God is there. That is why even when we believe with all our minds that life is meaningless, we simply can't live that way. We know better. This is, this is probably the most important point uh, of this whole thing of, of, of Christian apologetics is to say, someone who says everything is meaningless and we're all just by, we're all just evolved societies of bacteria. We're all, no one lives that way. Love is just a chemical reaction in your brain. And it's just put in there by evolution to prolong this for propagation of the species, preservation of the species. That's, you're never going to see that on a, on a Valentine's day card, right? No one actually lives that way. We say we're meaningless and we're just a pale blue dot swirling through the cosmos. Anyone who actually believes that doesn't get upset when matter bumps into other matter. We don't, we don't get morally indignant when uh, one meteor crashes into another meteor. But if someone crashes their car into a bunch of children, we get morally indignant. We, we get angry about that because we understand, we know there's a difference between human beings and rocks. All right. That's, that's a big point is people, you can, you can tell what people believe by what, how they live. And that's, that kind of brings us back to the truth is relative thing. And you, people may say that to be politically correct and be kind and be compassionate and be open-minded or whatever. But if they look at their bank, you know, I like to use this analogy. If someone looked at their bank account and saw a $5,000 purchase that they know they didn't make and they think, okay, well, something's wrong. Let me call my bank and see what's going on. The bank teller looks at her screen and sees no charge. Everything's fine with your bank account, sir. No one hangs up the phone. Oh, okay. Well, this is my truth. That's your truth. We're just going to both believe our different truths about this important thing. No, you're going to find out if the charge has been made. Is that I have the $5,000 or do I not? Am I being ripped off or am I not? Same thing goes with your, with your kids. If you know, you're, you're just out at the grocery store and, and you see one of your, some other mom and they say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your son got terribly hurt in that accident. You'd be like, what accident? What are you talking about? And I, I, I know where my son, I think I know where my son is and he's perfectly fine. And this other person is saying, no, 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 he got hit by a bus. You're not going to say, well, I know where I, my son is. And so that's fine. You're saying this and you're going to find out if your, if your kid is hurt. When it comes to money or your loved ones or things you care about, the, the stupid idea of relative truth goes out the window and you know there is a truth and I want to find out what that truth is. There's no your truth, my truth, any of this postmodern crap. It's, it's, it, when it comes down to things you care about and the way you live, how you live will, will determine what you actually believe. And this goes for Christians as well. That, that, that's true because 
people might, you know, Christians will profess Jesus and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. The Brandon Manning quote about that. And it's true. How you live reveals what you truly believe. And so someone will say, we're all stardust. We're all evolved. Uh, societies of bacteria, you know, we're all just matter in motion, but then they'll kiss their children and cry at a symphony. And they don't actually live this way. They don't treat people as if they're just evolved societies of bacteria. That's a John Piper quote one time said was really good. He said, um, you know, we teach kids in school that they're animals. And then we're shocked when they start killing each other like animals. You know, we, we have this idea of human life in, in, human dignity and we've stripped away all meaningful uh, value on humanity and we're shocked that people are treating each other this way and and uh, we shouldn't be shocked like because and people don't generally treat each other that way because we know that we're more than just evolved societies of bacteria we know we're just we're more than stardust as Carl Sagan would say uh, and they say that but they don't live that way and thank God they don't thank God no atheist or godless world person with a godless worldview lives as if there is no justification for morality, as there is no real value to human life other than what we assign through history and philosophy. Thank God people don't actually live that way. Um, and that's, that's, that's the point of that. And I want to end on this with scripture. And I won't do this every time, so don't worry. I'm not like turning this into like a preaching thing, but I mean, the entire world and the whole, everything is about Jesus Christ. So it's got to come up sometime. Um, so Romans 1, 18 uh, through 20, 23, I might go to 24, uh, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, the birds and animals and creeping things. It says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the sir and served the creature rather than the creator. The number one idol of today is the God of self. We, we're all about self-care, self-help. We have no idea what we are. We're, we call ourselves stardust, and then we're the our happiness and well-being is of the utmost priority for people. And so in that way, we worship ourselves, the created thing, over the creator, God. So, um, yeah, reason for God, Timothy Keller. Sorry, this video thing is like reversed on Facebook Live. It's like all... It go this way, it goes that way. Um, Reason for God, Timothy Keller, amazing book. It's not that long. It's not that bad. It's like 300 pages or so. Yeah, less than like two 250. Pick it up, read it. You can find it on Amazon. It's an extremely popular book, extremely common book. Really awesome. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I hope you guys enjoyed this video, found it valuable, found it um, got some value out of it. Um, went a little longer than I wanted to. I don't think I will on other books that I do. This is just a really deep book and really cool book. So, and it was, you know, the first one. So it's bound to be cutting down here and there as I get better at, at doing, going through these books. But uh, yeah, The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Amazing book. Can't recommend it enough. It's awesome. And yeah, so um, I'll, I'm going to try and do these, these every Monday or at least once a week or whenever I can get it, get it, 
kids go to bed, uh, then I can, I can do one of these videos. But yeah, so hope you liked it. Um, I had fun, and I'll see y'all later. Thanks. Bye.